0: they are still seated in the same place. So just one glance, I know who is here and who is not here. Okay, uh, everybody is seated wherever they were seated. You see, Mr. Ku is still there. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lok are still there, right? And uh, Mrs. Ang here is the same place everywhere, right? Uh, but I think some second service people have moved up to the first service. This shows that uh, age has caught up with them. All right? uh, and the way we started the first hymn, I realized that we are really slowed down. All right? uh, but it's good to be here. Okay? Good to see familiar faces. And of course, many times when I travel, people ask me, uh, "Where's your family? Where is Grace? Where are the children?" Uh, I'm happy to tell you, Grace is here. And she's seated where she used to sit also.) <laughs> somewhere there okay Uh, the children are away studying so uh, they don't follow us yeah okay it's good to be here it's my privilege to bring God's word to you yesterday I was here in a meeting and uh, I'm glad to see all that is going on uh, in the life of this church this church continues to be close to my heart uh, I need to say this carefully because other churches may think they are not very close to my heart. Okay, but all the churches are close, but this church is closer. I spent seven years here, you know, it's a lot of time here. This is the church that I served the longest, seven years. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the people in this church. Thank you, God, for their life, their ministry, their commitment to you, their commitment to one another. Today we turn to you and ask and pray your blessing upon everyone who is here and all the families that are represented here, that we may bring forth your blessing with us to share your blessings with our loved ones. Father, as we turn to your word today, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, that we may hear you clearly, that there may be a word for each and every one of us, that there will be a thought, an assurance, a promise, that we can bring back with us to to cling closely to that which you would say to us, very specially this morning. So, Father, please speak to us that we may hear you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask of you. Amen. There was this very little boy. He was taken by his uh, parents to go shopping. And after they had shopped, the parents went to the car park, put all the things in their car and drove off. The only problem was this, they took all the things with them and they left the little boy behind. And the boy was standing there crying and a policeman came nearby, who was nearby came by and looked at this boy, very little boy, standing there at the car park, crying all alone and asked him, son, what is wrong? And it seems the boy said, my parents, they drove off without me in the car and a um, policeman, trying to be helpful to the boy, asked him, son, what is your father's name, so that I can maybe try to find out and uh, get you back home safely. And this is a very little boy, so he answered, my father's name is Daddy. <laughs> uh, okay, how about mother's name? Mommy. So the policeman realized that there's no point asking this boy for the house address. You know. He won't be able to say that. So the policeman, trying to be more helpful, looked at the boy and said, son, is there some kind of a landmark, something big, some building, or something like that, that is you know, near your house, so that if you could tell me that, then possibly I can get you back home. It the little boy thought for a while, and he said, yes, there's this huge cross, near my house and every night it is lighted blue. Sir, if you could take me to the cross, I can find my way home from there. If you could take me to the cross, I can find my way home from there. Now I like this story for two reasons. One is because I can identify with the little boy because something like that happened to me but I will tell you that in in another sermon. better not get into that. Uh, But the other reason is this, that, that, that statement made by the boy, there's a lot of spiritual truth in that statement. And for that reason, I like that very much. Sir, if you would take me to the cross, I can find my way home from there. It is indeed true, friends, that it is through the cross of Christ that we actually find our way home to God. It is through Jesus Christ that we are set in a right relationship with God and we, experience His, we receive and we experience His blessings. Let me set today's passage in its context because I'm just kind of coming to you right somewhere in the middle of the book of Romans and I'm coming to you at Romans chapter 5 you know, with Romans chapter 5, so I want to just set this in its context. Romans chapter 1 to 4, the first four chapters of, the, of this book, actually talks about the need to come into a right relationship with God. And the, and the word that is used here is the word justification or justified. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. So, but throughout chapter 1 to chapter 4, it's also this word justification, simply meaning that we come into a right relationship with God. And, and the Apostle Paul, writing the book of Romans, he, he, the letter to, to, the, to the Christians in Rome, he was saying to them that they need to come into a right relationship with God and that they can be put in a right relationship with God by accepting God's grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And and having said that, you know, the need to be justified, the need to come into a right relationship with God, and that this can happen by grace, through faith, and so on. Therefore, then he comes to chapter 5 and begins with the word, therefore. In, in, In using this word, therefore, and then moving on to all that he is saying, the Apostle Paul is actually assuming that the people who are reading that which the letter that he is sending to them, that they have received God's gift of salvation and that they are enjoying a right relationship with God. So he says, therefore, since you have already been put right with God, you have come into a right relationship with God, therefore, therefore what will happen? two things basically that he says will happen. That being in a right relationship with God brings God's blessings to us. And what are those blessings? He actually spells them them out for us. The blessings of peace, the blessings of grace, and the blessings of hope. Three blessings that he very uh, specifically mentions. Being in a right relationship with God brings blessings to us. The other thing that he says in these 11 verses is this, that being in a right relationship with God, although on the one hand it brings blessings to us, on the other hand it does not exclude suffering. You know, because a lot of times we love those blessings, but sufferings we are not sure But I I will explain a little bit more of that as we go on, or rather the Apostle Paul uh, says more about that and and we will take it up as we move on. I want to draw two lessons from here. That is firstly about the blessings and secondly about the sufferings. So he, he talks about these blessings of peace, grace and hope. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Firstly, he mentions the blessings of peace. Peace with God. You know, peace with God means that we are in a harmonious relationship with God. The word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. Shalom is a huge word it is a very rich word a very deep word uh, in, in the english language we have uh, scholars have so much difficulty trying to um, translate this one word shalom into english they need so many different words to translate this one word shalom but essentially we can say that it is the word peace it is the in the in the uh, in the new testament in the greek language it is the word Irene, shalom or Irene in the the New Testament. Basically, this is God's peace to us, that no matter what our feelings might say, the point is that we are in a right standing with God, that we have been put in a right relationship with God when we put our faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you, if you want to know that you have come into this right relationship with God and you have peace within you, there are actually at least, at least three tangible signs which I can uh, give to you, you know, that, that you have this peace within you. Firstly is that we are no more scared of God. You know? You know, before we, we, we came to know Christ and so on, some of us, we are really afraid of God. Even the mention of the name God frightens us, whatever your image or picture of God may be. But just the word God frightens us a lot. At least it used to be with me. Before I came to know Christ, I I just used to think that there's this God up there somewhere. He's just looking down and just waiting for me to make some kind of a mistake, and he's going to whack me. Just scared, terribly afraid of God. No, But when you have this peace within you, you find that you're no more scared of God. You have reverence towards God. You fear God in a very positive sense of the word reverence towards God. But you're not scared of God. The other thing when you have this peace of God within you is that your conscience stops condemning you. And your conscience is is at peace with itself. You know, because b- before we know God, before we have this peace within us, that there's a lot of turmoil going on and, it's, and, and the conscience is always seems to be just pointing out the, the wrong things that, that we have done and, and it's just condemning us. Our own conscience condemns us. But when you come to peace with God, you realise that that's not the case. Your conscience stops condemning you. And thirdly, you find that the, the mention of the word death does not strike terror in our hearts. I've seen this so often. People before they come to know Christ and so on, they are just so fearful about death. But when we come to know God and we have this peace within us, we find that we are ready. In fact, we are eager to see God face to face. I think it was last year, there was this man that I knew in in another place who was a member of our church church and so I, I kind of knew him to a certain extent. He, all of a sudden, he, he had a massive heart attack and he just passed on, just like that. You know. None of us were kind of ready for anything like that. I was really shocked to hear that he just passed away like that. But his wife says something like this, I didn't hear it from the wife, I heard it through someone else, uh, but that person heard it from the wife. You see, what happened was, a day or maybe much earlier before the, uh, uh, the, the heart attack actually took place, many, many hours earlier or just a day earlier before the heart attack took place, it seemed the man just kind of a got up uh, in a hurry kind of a thing. He, he just suddenly just woke up and, and, the, and the wife was just lying down beside him. It seemed when he woke up all of a sudden, uh, the, the wife's sleep was also disturbed that she too woke up. And she looked at him and asked him, what, what's the matter? And it seems he replied, I don't know why, but I feel like God is embracing me. The hand of God is upon me and God is just embracing me, holding me. And he just had this huge assurance that day. And, and the wife also felt good about that, you know, that this man would just wake up and say that God is holding me, embracing me, hugging me. Like I said, it was, I think, a few hours later, or I think the the day after, where he just had this massive heart attack and just passed on. Death no more strikes terror into our hearts when the peace of God has come to us. These are at least three tangible signs, I think, that we have when the peace of God comes into our lives. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about the blessings of grace. See, grace is not just something that saves us, and it's a one-off kind of thing. Some of us we just talked about the, this. Gray, I was saved by grace, and after that kind of a, we we don't mention this word grace. Or sometimes when we do mention this grace, we kind of talk about it as if like it happens to us now and then, now and then, as if like God just poured His grace upon us on this occasion or on that occasion and so on. But the Apostle Paul doesn't talk about it like that. In verse two, he says, "Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace." in which we now stand, meaning to say that we have come into this right relationship with God and therefore we are just experiencing this grace of God continually in our lives. Not now and then, but continually in our lives. So the grace of God is actively at work in our lives. You know, it is like that hymn that we uh, sing, that, that hymn, Amazing Grace. This grace has brought me safe thus far. How does it go? This grace has brought me safe thus far. This grace will lead me home. Meaning to say that I think the writer of the hymn totally understood what Paul is saying here. The the grace of God continually works in our lives so that we arrive safely at home with God. I would like to define grace, uh, but normally the way I do it is by contrasting grace uh, with justice and mercy. For me, at least, the word grace is still a very difficult word to to describe to us. But I I put it to you like this. Let me give you an analogy, draw a picture for you. Let's say I'm driving and somebody drives behind me, comes and knocks into my car. I get out of the car, I look at the damage at the back of my car, and then I look at this person and I say to him, you knocked, you pay, right? Now I want to contrast the word grace with justice and mercy. Let me ask you therefore, this act of mine, I come out of the car because somebody knocked me from the back. I think most of you here are drivers, you'll understand. You come out, you look at the guy and say, you knocked, you pay. Now is that justice, mercy or grace? Justice. You're in the wrong, you pay la. right? Now, the same thing, he knocks, I come out of the car, I look at the car, and I look at the person, I see maybe this guy is a very young fellow, okay, never mind, I look at him and say, okay, I will pay for the damages to my car, I'll repair the car myself, you go and repair it yourself. Justice, mercy, grace, what is that? I think it's mercy lah, I show mercy to him, all right? Let him go. But same thing, he comes, knocks into my car. I come out of the car, I look at the damages and so on. It's quite a huge damage and damage to his car as well. Then I look at this fellow and say, I think this fellow is from Trinity, Penang. <laughs> well, don't try it, huh? <laughs> I hope I'm not giving you ideas. Yeah. I, I look at the, the damage and so on and I say to him, OK, never mind. Drive with me. Let's go to uh, the, the person who can repair the car. I know someone who can repair the car very well. I'll pay for my damages. I'll pay for yours as well. Like I said, don't try it. Lapa. I'm just telling you a story here. Okay? Is that justice, mercy, or grace? That is grace. Now, of course, some of you sit sitting here thinking, where can such a thing happen? But you see, that's precisely the point. With you and me, it doesn't happen. I mean, we will not do it. But this is precisely the grace of God. God comes to us, although we are the one who had done the wrong, but He paid the price. And He has ushered us into this grace that we may constantly experience God's grace in our lives. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about these blessings of hope. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope that we have as Christians to share in God's glory, to be with Him eternally and and to share in His glory. You know, this word hope is a word that often you and I use very, very lightly. For us, the word hope is more like the word wish. I hope it doesn't rain afterwards. What are you really saying? It's most of the time, it's like, I wish, I hope it doesn't rain. But if it does, I take an umbrella and go on. Nah. I still go. I hope the sermon is not very long. <laughs> now I got your attention. I hope the sermon is not very long. Any if it is, am I might not? This fellow comes only once a year. Now I'm justifying. <laughs> But the word hope is used very differently in the Bible. We have this hope to share in God's glory means that we have this certainty, we have this confidence. Now, what what, what is Paul's confidence based on? How is he so sure? that we will share in in the glory of God. In verses 5 to 8, he puts it like this, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can be sure to share in God's glory now. Firstly, because God loves us in Jesus. Verses 5 to 8, the Apostle Paul is telling us. The the, the other reason that we can be so sure to share in God's glory now is because God has justified us. Verse 9, Since we have now been justified, that means put right with God by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? And then in verse 11, so we have been justified in verse 9, verse verse 10, sorry, the Apostle Paul talks about that we have been reconciled with God. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? You know, God loves us. Christ has died for us. We have been brought into a right relationship with God. We have been reconciled to Him through Jesus. And so all these things gives us this confidence, not this wishful hope, no, but this confidence that we have that we will share in God's glory. The Apostle Paul is so sure of this. And so these blessings of peace, of grace and hope that comes to us, that is given to us as a result of us coming into a right relationship with God. And then he moves on to talk about these sufferings nevertheless. Because possibly the Apostle Paul was being asked this question, if we are in a right relationship with God, then why are we still facing sufferings? I I think this is a question that is in the heart and mind of Almost every person. If I'm really been justified, I'm in a right relationship with God, and I've received these blessings of grace, uh, the, the, uh, peace, grace, and hope, and so on. Then why am I still suffering? But there's possibly another question as well, which is even worse, which puts more fear into us. If and it, this question arises out of our fear, if we are still facing sufferings, then will we really? see God's glory? If we are still facing sufferings, having be- become a Christian, but we are still facing suffering, will we still experience this final salvation? I think that question is at the back of the minds of a lot of people when they go through suffering. And therefore, the Apostle Paul's reply is that suffering is part and parcel of Christian life. I think this is a tough one for us to accept. But, this is, but, but that is what the Scripture says. In fact, our Lord Jesus put it like that. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. And everywhere in the New Testament, it, it talks about believers going through suffering, persecution, even suffering unto death. But why does God allow suffering? That's the question in, 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 in all of our minds. At least it comes to us every now and then. Why does God allow suffering? You see, I, I cannot give you a foolproof answer to that. If I could, then I am God, which I am not, thankfully. Right? But why does God allow suffering? Just based on this passage, I I don't want to wander off to other passages, but just based on this passage, I can safely say to us that one of the reasons, or at least the reason given to us here in this passage, the reason why God allows suffering is in order to build our lives strong. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. So we don't just rejoice in the blessings of peace, grace and hope. But we also rejoice, he puts it, in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. You know the word suffering, the the word that is translated suffering here, in in the Greek is the word thilipis. And and it is important to know this word because this same word thilipis, uh, translated here suffering, can actually also be translated as pressure. Meaning to say, so I can read uh, verse 3 like this, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, in our pressures, because we know that pressure produces perseverance. You know, it's like we are hemmed in from all sides. We are just squeezed kind of thing. We are put under pressure. The Apostle Paul says, but this pressure produces perseverance. Perseverance. And so one of the reasons God allows us to go through suffering is so that perseverance may be produced in us. And the word perseverance in the Greek is the word hupomone. Hupomone actually means that in us is created this fortitude. That we are made strong when we go through the pressures we, we are made strong. Our Christian life is built up. That, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Pressure produces perseverance. You know, I, mostly I walk for my exercise. Either I'm walking on my treadmill or I'm walking outside. One day, I, this was quite some time ago, I was walking and um, this place where I normally walk, there are always a lot of people. Uh, There'll be people ahead of me, people behind me, and so it's a very safe place to walk, all will be good. But this particular evening when I was walking, I, I just all of a sudden realized there was nobody, almost, I mean, I couldn't see anyone walking ahead of me. As far as I could see, there was nobody. I turned behind as a result to see, and there was nobody either. So I say, hey, today I'm walking alone. Anyway, I was walking, and as I was walking, from a certain distance, I could see two dogs rummaging through rubbish. I just continued to walk. As I walked and walked, coming closer to the two dogs, they just stopped rummaging through the rubbish. They turned towards me, although I'm not rubbish, you know. (laughs) Probably thinking there's more meat here than there. (laughs) or whatever that went through their minds. They just turned around and both of them started barking and, and they were so close to me, just like um, less than two feet away from me, two dogs. And I was looking at them and they were barking away and I didn't know what they were going to do next. And I, the, the thought that first came to my mind is, I am done for today. I don't know how many stitches I'm going to have. Honestly, all these thoughts came through my mind. And they, they, they continued to bark and so on. I was looking at them, but I stood my ground. I, I didn't want to run. The last thing a 50-year-old man should try to do is uh, try to outrun two dogs, which I don't think is quite possible for me, at least. So I just stood my ground there. I looked at these dogs, and they, they continued to bark. They were not going to budge. I could almost count all their teeth. You know, I had enough time, uh, but uh, not enough to count both. But, <laughs> you know, and, It was not a very long thing, but you know, I was there and really, I must tell you, I was really frightened, you know, the thought to run and all that came. But I decided, no, that's not the way, I need to confront these dogs. So I just, just as they were barking, I didn't know how to bark, I, uh, (laughs) I, I just looked at them and I said, hey! Of course, I said so much louder and I don't want to say because in case anybody is sleeping, I don't want to disturb anybody here, you know. So, but but I I really raised my voice and said, hey, and you will not believe it, honestly, you'll not believe it. You know, I I had nothing in my hand, I had no stick in my hand, I looked around to see if there was a stone that I could take and just threaten them with, not throw at them. I know there'll be dog lovers here, I need to say these things carefully. I, I didn't want to hit them, but I had nothing to hit them with, no stone, nothing, you know? And when I just raised my voice like that, looking at those two dogs, immediately they just dropped their heads, the two of them, very synchronized, you know, <laughs> just dropped their heads, turned around, went back to their rubbish, <laughs> to, to rummage through their, the rubbish and so on. I turned around and I walked and just after I had taken two or three steps away, the thought that came to me, or rather the word that came to me, was this particular word, hupomone. This Greek word came to my mind, hupomone. That, that is how much I must have been shaken up by this, that a Greek word comes to mind. you know. Yeah. I remember this word, hupomone. But as I walked further, reflecting on this, I told myself, hey, there is a spiritual lesson here too. You know, because the word hupomone, like I said, is fortitude. You know, at least in the ancient Greek, you know, this word hupomone is fortitude. You know, to, to, to stand up and to face the sufferings, to face the trials, pain, loneliness, sickness, uh, without running away from it. That's the word hupomone. So I told myself, I I think God has given me a spiritual lesson here because just precisely at that time, I was going through certain challenges in my own life where I felt that there were two or three people who were just after me, who wanted to do some kind of a harm to me kind of a thing. I told myself, yeah, that's the way to face all struggles, sufferings, pain, challenges in life not run away. And so this word hupomone is not a passive word, you know, because a lot of times we think that uh, suffering produces perseverance, meaning that some of us, we think that, therefore, I need to just receive all of these sufferings and pains and trials and challenges, just lying down. No, the word hupomone is not a passive word. The word hupomone is a very active word that I stand up to face these challenges. And I refused to run away from it. And that is what the Apostle Paul says, suffering does to us. Thilipis produces hupomone. Pressure in life produces perseverance, fortitude, builds us up strong. And then perseverance produces character. You see, when we go through challenges and difficulties in life and so on, we can either become bitter or as people say, you can become better. You can become bitter or you can become better. But what the peace and the grace and the hope of God does in our lives is that it enables us to become better people even through the sufferings that God allows to come into our lives so that we are strengthened. And then this character produces hope. We become more hopeful, more confident in what God is doing, in this hope that we have in God. When we suffer, there's a tendency to give up hope and wonder whether we are saved or not, whether God loves us or not. But when we are strengthened in the suffering, hope itself is strengthened, confidence is raised. When our confidence, when our hope is in God, we will not be disappointed. We also learn in this passage that suffering actually does not negate God's love because a lot of times we think that we suffer because God has forgotten us or God has forsaken us. That's not true. For those of you here, I do not know what you are going through in life, what pain or suffering or trial or difficulty. And you may be sitting here thinking, does God love me? Has He stopped loving me? Friends, the question whether God loves you or not has been settled 2,000 years ago. It wasn't settled when you came to know Christ. It was settled long before that, 2,000 years ago on the cross. Jesus died for you because God loves us. And so this question about whether God loves me or not, no matter how painful a thing you may be going through in life even now, whether God loves you or not, is settled. God indeed loves you. That in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because God loves us. The cross is the proof. Let me end You know, many a times, when when we talk about being put right with God and all of that, we also wonder whether there was a time where God's favour was not shown to me, or whether all the while God has been showing His favour to me. But we may wonder, you know, is there a time when God doesn't love me, stop showing His favor? Yeah, he died on the cross, but are there gaps in his love towards me? But this passage also assures us, this whole passage here assures us that we have always been loved by God. If you have forgotten everything that I've said to you today, then I want you to go away at least remembering this, that you and I We are loved by God. There is not a thing that you are going through in life because God doesn't love you. No. No matter what you are going through, God loves you. And He will love you eternally. And there's no greater knowledge than this, that we are loved by God. There is this Swiss theologian, world-renowned Swiss theologian in the previous century, a man by the name of Karl Barth. Karl Barth was an exceptional Protestant theologian, great mind, brilliant mind, a Swiss theologian. And he he was such a great theologian that I, I, when I was trying to read up about him, I found out that that Time magazine actually uh, wrote an article about him in the year 1962. That he appeared on the on the cover page of uh, Time magazine. Such a great theologian of the church, Protestant theologian. One time, Karl Barth flew from Europe, came into America, and what he did was he just went from one college from one university to another, giving lectures to the students, and wherever he turned up to give public lectures, people just thronged to listen to him. They came by the hundreds and by the thousands, and auditoriums, it seems, would be just so packed with people. And everywhere he lectured, at the end of it, people were given some opportunity to ask questions. In one of the places where he had lectured, a young student raised his hand, and, and, and asked him this question, Dr Karl Baath, what is the greatest thought, what is the greatest thought that ever crossed your mind? And it seems when this question was put forward to him, there was a kind of a hush that has just fallen over en- the entire auditorium. Everybody wanted to know the answer to this question. And it seems some of them were like sitting at the edge of their seats, wanting to know what could have been the greatest thought that ever crossed this most brilliant mind. And it seems when the question was being asked, Dr. Kalbath was looking down at the floor. And then he looked up, looked at this student, and he gave this answer. Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. That's all. The greatest thought that ever crossed this most brilliant Protestant theologian's mind, Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. And indeed, friends, there's no greater thought than that. Even in the midst of sufferings, The greatest privilege is to be in a right relationship with God, have access to peace, grace, and hope because we are loved by God. God bless you. Shall we stand for the hymn of dedication?